We're in a series called Church Words, and I got this series, if you weren't watching last week, from this moment where I was watching on Instagram, and and these people were doing an interview, and somebody said a word, and they said, that's kind of like a church word, or that's kind of Christianese, and the way that they said it was kind of like, if it's a word that's said in church, let's not talk about that. It's not relevant. It's boring. And I'm like, man, I think so many times in the effort to stay relevant, we've gotten unbiblical, and, and we don't... We don't know what these words mean, and then pastors say them. We have to pretend we know what they mean. Like somebody yells, glory, and we're like, glory, and we're like, "Uh, what is glory? And no one ever explains it, and we just say it. Amen, by the way, has a powerful meaning, and a lot of people don't know what it means. It does. It's not just a sign to let everyone know the prayer's over. It, It is putting your agreement on the prayer you just prayed is profoundly spiritual, and so last week we did the church word holy, and hopefully you got something out of that. And this week, our church word, this is where I need the LED wall to like flip over the TV screens and show the word of the week. It would be so cool. So we just have to do like a drum drum roll at your kitchen table, wherever you are, because the, thank you. You guys are great today. The church word of today is idolatry. That's the same reaction Holy got, man. You never really get a good reaction from church words. And that's why I'm doing this series, because this got the exact same word reaction as holy. The church word for today, somebody put holy in the chat. When I say holy, you say God. Holy. Nobody, it doesn't get the party going. You know what I mean? Like, not you, y'all didn't even go along with that one. Like, church words don't get the party going. Uh, nothing like a good old sermon on idolatry. If you have somebody new and you invite him this week, you're like, oh no, <laughs> idolatry. But I promise you, this will, will bless you. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 32. Uh, this is obviously happening in the book of Acts. The church has blown up in Acts chapter 2. The love of God is spreading everywhere. And the church is growing and thriving, and now they have to deal with the subject of idolatry. I honestly believe that this sermon I'm going to preach to us today is going to really set a moment in time, prophetically, if you will, that now is the time in Oasis to deal with idolatry. God's has been moving in our church. The the love of God and the grace of God has been spreading for 35 years. And now is the time. We are in an Acts chapter 19 season where it is time to address the idolatry in our lives, the idolatry in the culture. And that's what Paul is having to do here. This is right after things were going crazy. The Bible says in Acts 18, excuse me, the beginning of Acts 19, that Paul was doing unusual miracles. You know it's going down when they have to create a new category for miracles. Miracles were normal. So what Paul did was unusual miracles. I pray that our church gets to the place where we have to develop new categories for miracles because regular miracles are just normal. And so then it says, after all these crazy miracles were happening in verse 23, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. I love the fact that they didn't call it Christianity yet. I love the fact that they didn't call it church yet. It was called the way, the way, followers of the way. Christians were called followers of the way. And I really believe this is important that we think about that sometimes. In verse 24, it goes on and says, it began, all the trouble began with Demetrius, 
a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines or idols of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods, our idols, aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. This is so important you understand that Paul is getting ready to start his third uh, missionary journey. Some scholars say, I think he was on his second one in this chapter of, of the Bible. But later on, the entire book of Ephesians would be Paul writing a letter Uh, to the church in Ephesus, trying to encourage them. Many people would agree that at that point, Paul was writing that letter. That was one of the most healthiest churches that there possibly could be and a culture that really resembles Los Angeles. Years ago, churches would go to the suburbs and go to the places where people already kind of had a faith and start churches there. But Paul would go to the grit and grime of Rome and Ephesus, where everything in the culture was screaming something different, and he would start a church there. It wasn't that he was going to the place where it was easy. He was going to the places where the Holy Spirit had to plow the ground so that he could put the seed of God's word in that city, and that city was Ephesus, and they were worshiping idols. And then it says that, uh, uh, verse 27, uh, this man, Demetrius says, of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. The moment you start shouting praise to your idols, confusion is on the way. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater. This would have been the place where artists like to do things. Is it sounding familiar? It's a little bit of the same culture as in uh, LA where there's just these uh, artists and politicians and and thinkers. Uh, These were the thought leaders of that day. And it says they were rushing the amphitheater, dragging along uh, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus. This guy, man, Aristarchus, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia? Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing, some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Wait a minute, what? You just filled an entire stadium with people. Sounds like a good church service, right? But instead, it ends with, but most of them didn't even know why they were there. And so it's starting to make me think that a great church service is not an amphitheater filled with people, but nobody knows 
why they were there. It is everyone in the room knows why they are there. I'm going to preach a message around the concept, the word idolatry, simply titled, I lost my why. I lost my why. I lost my why in September. Lost it. It was gone. Gone. Like I didn't have insurance on it. It's not like an iPhone. It was gone. Right around September, I started questioning, why am I a lead pastor? Why did I say yes to this? My wife knows these personal conversations I would have with her. I would dream and envision of the day that I didn't have to do this anymore. It's not that I don't love you. I lost my why. It just seemed that the why had turned into making it through the pandemic, trying not to get sick. Like, like my purpose used to be leading people to Jesus. Now my purpose is not getting a cough. Like, it's just, my why is gone. I'm writing sermons and I can't see anyone. I don't even know if you care. I miss people. And I lost my why. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And the answer was, I don't know anymore. And so many times we keep doing things and we've lost our why or uh, you know, we you that term wing it, we wing our whys. Like someone says, why do you do what you do? And we go, one time someone asked me, uh, why do you gather every Sunday? And I don't know. So I winged it. Well, you know, the Bible says <laughs> not to forsake the gathering of the saints. It's like, that's not burning in my heart. I made it up. Why do you sing? Because the Lord has given me a gift and I want to share it with the world. Like, is that your why? Then why are you so frustrated that no one knows you have a gift and no one's what? Because that's not really your why. You winged it. Why do you do what you do? Why are you married? Why are you single? Why? I feel that the why leads to a prophetic what? Do you know I've given people prophecies multiple times? I've spoken over their life, and the very next question is, how's this all going to play out? No, 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 no. It's not how this all is going to play out. you got to get the why burning in your spirit, because the why that is burning in your spirit will produce the what. I've lost my why. And here's the crazy thing. As a pastor and a leader, I am not ever again trying to have a bigger church trying to be a better leader. I'm trying to make sure that I protect and never lose my why and that my why stays on fire. We lose our why and and the Bible says or would suggest that everyone didn't know why they were there because they had gotten caught up in idolatry. That's why they didn't know because they had gotten caught up in idols. So, So what is an idol? The biblical definition of an idol is a physical representation of a deity usually used as an object of worship. So in this culture in Ephesus, they would make the idols and the idols would represent God. And it was a physical representation of a God that they couldn't see. I want you to catch this. So what Macy said earlier was so profound. She said, because I can't see it. I heard it, but I can't see it. So they made an idol out of something they could see to try to connect them to what they couldn't see. 
and it is a physical representation of a deity. So we can make an idol out of wood, but we can also make an idol out of a blessing because the blessing is a physical representation of the God I cannot see. So I will worship what I can see since God is present but invisible, I worship what is visible, what I can see, what I can put my hands on, what I can control. It is a physical representation of a deity, of a God. But I have found in my life, just to even simplify it even more for you, I'm going to read two other definitions of an idol. Definition number one, anything other than Jesus, so meaningful to you that if you lose it, life would lose its meaning and joy. And the second one, I got to read that again because I felt the Holy Spirit on that. Anything other than Jesus, so meaningful to you that if you lose it, life would lose its meaning and joy. The second one is anything other than Jesus, so meaningful that if you get it, life would have more meaning and joy. You know you have an idol when you are waiting for something to complete your joy and meaning. When you're believing so much for what God's wanting to do that you can't have joy until he does it. That thing is not something you're praying about. It's something you're praying to. It is your idol. It is your God. Exodus 20 verse 4 says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So idols are things we create gods out of. It says you should not make for yourself a carved image or in any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make an idol. And later, right after that, it would say, do not serve or worship idols. So I found it interesting that it says, do not serve or worship idols because I would have described an idol as anything that has a greater priority than God, anything that you worship it instead of God. But no, it uses those two words, do not serve and worship. So worship is when it is so elevated in your reverence. You're so, we, ha, we don't have a fear of the Lord. We have a fear of not accomplishing this dream. We don't have a fear of the Lord. We have a fear of being single forever. We don't have a fear of the Lord. We have a fear of rejection. So whatever the acceptance has now become the idol, it's now become the thing that you worship. And so that is idol. But it also says not to just not worship idols. It says, do not serve idols. And here is the definition of serve in that Hebrew word. Slavery, bondage, and burdens. Slavery, bondage, and burdens. I want you to write this down. Something in your life is an idol when you are a slave to it, in bondage from it, or excessively burdened by it. Becomes an idol in your life when you are a slave to it, in bondage from it, or excessively burdened by it. No matter what it is, even if you wrote it down as a list of, on your list of blessings, if it is the church and you are a slave to it, in bondage from it, or excessively burdened by it, the church has become an idol. An idol. And I think we call it uh, being a slave to something, I think sometimes we call it sacrifice when it's slavery. 
we're, we're a slave to it. We're in bondage from it and excessively burdened by it. One of the signs that you do not have an idol is that your burdens are temporary because you've given them to the Lord. The Bible says, cast your cares, your anxiety on the Lord. And I really believe that we have to check some things in our life. And I'm glad this, I hope you get the dream. I hope you get the thing that you're believing God for. But if it is excessively burdening you, it has become an idol. Interestingly enough, I think so many times we lose our why when we have idols because we, we, we justify it because it's something that's, that's in our heart with something that we believe God has blessed us with. So we justify the obsessive nature about the blessings of God or the things we want God to do. And we don't realize they've become our, our God. Other chapters in the Bible would say that we worship the creation, not the creator. And I really believe that we lose our why even when we have a misconception of who Jesus is. You know, remember those uh, bracelets, what would Jesus do? Um, and we, uh, in, uh, I don't remember when it was, 90s, 2000. What would Jesus do? On the opposite of the bracelet, I felt like they shouldn't have left it blank because they put WWJD on the bracelet and underneath it should have said the exact opposite of whatever you're about to do now. Because if we're not careful, we take what would Jesus do and we think it's the same thing that we would do. And it is not. And so many times we get caught up in idols because we lower Jesus just down to love. And we're like, Jesus just came and loved everybody. He never challenged anybody. He never told anybody the truth. Jesus just loved and he ate with sinners. He did that. But when John the Baptist said something about Jesus, John the Baptist, who the Bible says Jesus said, I can't think of anybody greater born from woman than John. That's what he said. He loved John the Baptist. John the Baptist was his cousin. And John the Baptist said that he wasn't worthy of tying Jesus's Air Jordans. And the reason he gave was not because Jesus was so loving. It was not because Jesus was so faithful. He was all those things. In Matthew 3, verse 11, John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to even be a slave or carry his sandals. Why? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He didn't bring up love. He brought up the Holy Spirit and he brought up fire. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We come, become vessels of God's nature. We become vessels of his gifting. We become vessels of his fruit, patience, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. But he doesn't just baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes us with fire, and fire purifies your why. It is a purifying baptism, and it makes your why so hot and burning. It's just, God met Moses in a burning bush. When he gave the 10 commandments, the mountain was on fire. When Elijah got rid of the prophets, he called down fire from heaven. Matter of fact, the disciples once tried to call down fire and God was like, no, 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 no don't do that. I don't want you to call on fire. I want to baptize you with fire. I want you to purify everything about you. It gives your why a spark that will turn into a flame that will help you achieve your destiny. 
You need the fire because the fire helps you get your why back, helps you not have an idol, helps you not have anything that's more important than God. Prior to that moment, the disciples could not put God first. They all ran. He shows up, he baptizes with fire, and their why was back in the church, doing what God had called them to do for the right reasons. And I feel like if you look at that passage of scripture, what did the guy, Demetrius, say? You know we are all busy working. The idols were creating work for them. The idols were creating income for them. The idols were helping them do something they wanted to do. And so many times we get to work without the why. And when you get to work without the why, your work usually becomes an idol. You got to write this down because I feel like the Lord told me to tell you this. I know the work is waiting, but don't get started before the why is burning. I know the work is waiting, but don't get started before the why is burning. Take a moment every single morning of your day before you work to raise your kids, before you work to complete your job. Just say, Lord, refresh my why. Why do I do this? I do this to bring you glory. I do this because you love me. I do this to let the world know that you're with me. Refresh your why because just like this verse, whenever people worship idols, they lose their why. I have 47,000 idols in my life that are always lurking, always trying to put themselves before Jesus. Interesting enough, Acts uh, chapter 19, Demetrius uh, had a large business and, and, and it was coming down and I'm not going to read it right now, but but I have noticed this about advancing the kingdom of God, that an advantage to the kingdom of God will often be seen as a disadvantage by the current culture. Wow. You know, they, we can talk about like equality, right? But right now you can almost do everything in culture except pray. Everything is acceptable except prayer. Don't you talk about Jesus. Don't pray. Cause that's kind of weird. You know, we can't pray anywhere. Like, and, I, and I, I get this, and I'm not trying to like, but the more, it's like we're pushing the boundaries of everything that's accepted. Just do you. You live your truth, whatever you think, except if your truth is Christ. Hmm. Well, we tell everybody to live your truth, but I'm not allowed to live my truth. I'm on the golf course all the time, right? And, and you, would, I'm on the golf course all the time with people. What do you do? I'm a pastor. The hole just sucks all the life off the green. Somebody else goes, what are you at? What are you? I go, the other day, Kyle and I, we were out there golfing. The guy was a drug dealer. Oh, cool. Pastor? I sure don't want to golf with this guy. You know what I mean? If we're not careful, we don't realize that this is an acceptance. It's an agenda. And it's not a kingdom one. And the, the, the key that this is not about acceptance or equality, that it's about an agenda, is if that Christ is not allowed. If, if Jesus is not allowed in this conversation, we have stepped into a really dark time. And this is why the culture was so mad. And I'm not saying that there are not people out there. One of the things that drives me nuts that I have to, that I have to pray and repent about all the time is, 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 is 
spiritual leaders bashing other people on Instagram and call it standing for truth. Uh, it, Lord, you got to help me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where um, you are being rejected and persecuted for who you are in Christ. We're going to have to lean more into the truth of God's word than ever before as a church. Because the reason why they were getting mad is that what they were currently guarding and controlling, God wants to shift into his kingdom. Don't forget, when they left Egypt, they left with Egypt's stuff. And so why does the enemy not want us to have all that God has for us? It's in his possession currently. This is so important. So we have to align ourselves with God's will. We have to align ourselves with God's word so that we don't fall into idolatry. I have found a few idols that I've seen primarily in the church, and one of them is obviously personal idols. These are things that you just have that you want honestly more than God. And and throughout different scriptures in the Bible, God would talk about these idols, and he would often compare them to adultery. You're having an affair with it. You're cheating on God with your dream. Oh, my God. He caught you red-handed. Remember that show, Cheaters? Cheaters? Follow you around a camera, caught you in the restaurant. Before I got saved, that was my favorite show. I've seen every episode of Cheaters. Love it. Caught you red-handed with your dream. Caught you red-handed with your purpose. Caught you red-handed with your sermon. Caught you red-handed with your title. Idols aren't always things we put before God. Idols are things that get more love, affection, and attention than God does. And he said, you cheated on me with the thing I called you to do. And now we haven't seen each other. And now we're not in relationship. It's a personal idol. He would often call adultery. We are romancing. And then there is cultural and political idols. And God hated these two. Matter of fact, in, in Ezekiel and other passages of scripture, he would rebuke his people for creating treaties with political powers for protection, for, for creating, watch this, alignment with political powers so that it would serve as protection when God wanted to be their protector. He hated that. And somebody out there, even now, cultural and political idols, you're like, you tell them, Pastor Julian, because we saw that during the election, didn't we? If you're thinking about somebody right now, not yourself, I want you to write this note down. We usually hate someone else's idol, and that may be the biggest sign we have one as well. Because we hate. I, that's why I knew I had an idol. I'm like, I hate that guy. <laughs> that's how I knew I had an idol. That's how I knew I had something in my life that needed to be addressed because I would watch someone with an idol and go, I hate him. And I had to repent. Because God was like, often we hate people that are reminiscent of who we see in the mirror. That's often where hate comes from. That's often where hate comes from. And so I had to address that I was starting to have some bitterness towards people who had political idols and cultural idols. And I'm, God was like, but you got your own. We can have family and church idols. Sometimes people can make family an idol. There's parts of the world where 
They're called honor killings, where if someone deems that you've dishonored the family, they can kill you. What? That's an idol. God would never ask anybody to do that. We definitely have idols in the church. We make idols out of pastors. We make idols out of ministries. We start programs and internships so we can just have more people serving us. I think so many times that we, we, we can't serve the king because we're too busy wanting to feel like one. You, that, that really stuck. That really, really hit somebody in their spirit. I know this because I've, I've done it. There's just something where it's like Coming America 2 just came out. And it's like, you know, when they throw the rose petals and he's like walking on the rose petals. I think there's some of us that want to be treated like that. And, and Jesus was spit on, never owned a home. And we act like God is not real if he, doesn't, if he doesn't make us homeowners. And the Bible says Jesus never lived anywhere. Everywhere he lived was borrowed. He borrowed his manger and his tomb. And, and we, we're like, if God, if you don't, he said the son of man has nowhere to rest his head. And God, if you don't bless me with a nice house in Studio City, then you're not God. And God is like, wait, what? Like, didn't I... Wasn't I born in a manger? Didn't I get in the middle of people's dirt? Didn't I? And we go like, no, the cultural idol says this is the American dream, the house, the car, everything. And we don't realize that Christ came without any of that. There's the church idols. And then there's individual idols where it's just everything that we think is right and here is the other really big one. It's religious idols. It's like religious idols, which are centered around truth, gifts, and often morality. So once we think we're operating in the truth, we bash everyone we think is not. We call it standing for truth. And um, Proverbs has uh, several categories of fools. And one of the categories of fools in Proverbs is called a scoffer. It's brought up 17 times in Proverbs. And they're always disrespectful and cruel to those who think differently. They think they have a revelation of the truth. And so they treat everyone who doesn't have that revelation as less than. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 2 says this, Blessed is a man who, not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That definition of a scoffer literally is an ambassador, an interpreter to make a mockery of someone else. And the figurative meaning is that they're an intermediary between God and man. They are always trying to tell people how they're not in alignment with God. And God calls them a scoffer. And in the book of Proverbs, out of all the fools, this had the least amount of hope this is things we can make idols out of our knowledge. We can make idols out of our wisdom. We can make idols out of what we think that we know. And I believe now, just like in Acts chapter 19, it is the time to tear down idols. So here are the three things that we need to do with idols. See them, expose them, tear them down. See them, expose them, Tear them down. See them. To see them, it takes prayer. And it takes humility. It takes revelation with Scripture and intimacy with God and people. And there's this time in my life where, God, I want you to show me 
not just what I've put before you, but what I've put beside you. There was nothing allowed in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament other than the glory of God. And when people ministered in the temple, temple, in the tabernacle, they were by themselves. There was no crowd to cater to. And I think so many times we want to minister to people, but there's a ministry unto the Lord where we just say, Lord, will you show me the areas of my life that I've had an idol, something that is overburdening me or something that is, is, is too elevated. I'm losing my joy if I don't have it. If you feel called to do something and cannot imagine your life if you don't get to do it, it's an idol. The biggest thing for me with preaching is I get to preach in freedom. I promise you, if this was my last Sunday, I would not shed a tear. And that's not because I don't enjoy preaching. It's because I enjoy Jesus more than preaching. You know it's an idol if he takes it away. And so God sometimes takes things from you to discover the place it had in your heart. And when you feel like your heart is ripped out, now we know that that was an idol. So God always has the right to bring down false gods. So please, please, God spent the entire Old Testament bringing down false gods. I don't have time to get into it, but all of the 10 plagues, when he called them out of Egypt, each of the 10 plagues had to do with a god Egypt was worshiping. The, the, the sun, the god of fertility. The darkness, the god of the sun, the S-U-N. All of it. The god of frogs. He turned the Nile River to blood. They believed the Nile River was the bloodstream of their god Osiris. And so he turned it to blood because they believed the river was the bloodstream of the God that they serve. He literally brought down idols. So one of the ways to get your dream destroyed by God himself is putting it next to him. That is why I believe most Christians are not operating in their dreams is because God has brought down idols. He's giving dreams and bringing down idols. He's the giver of dreams and the bringer, he brings down the idols. So if your dream has drifted into the category of idols, then it automatically gets destroyed. We got to see them so we can move them. Not get rid of them. Move them over. Just move them away from Jesus. I don't need you to lay down everything you ever wanted to do in life. Just don't have it anywhere near God. We got to see them. We got to expose them. And they're exposed in the light, not the post. The light. I, I, I mean, I, I have, I've, I, and I haven't done this well. I have some Instagram posts that I wish I could take back because I thought I was exposing the truth. And you know, I've never, ever in my story or in my feed posted something that I thought was the truth and had someone go, oh, Thank you for sharing. I've changed my mind. It's never happened. It's never happened. Oh, so that's racism. Thanks. It's never happened. What I do get is a bunch of people who already agree with me giving me affirmation. And I'm posting so someone can say amen. Why do I check to see who saw it? If I... So I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. That's getting exposed. See them, expose them, tear them down. You know, in the Old Testament, God would, would, would come commend kings for serving him, 
But then he would mention they didn't tear down the high places, the places where people are worshiping idols. This is our time, church, to tear down the high places. Anything at all, get rid of it. I don't care what you want to do with your life. Get that thing away from God. I serve Jesus. We got to tear them down. Tearing them down is not loving your idols less. It's not loving them at all. I don't. People say, do you love what you do? No. I don't. I don't love what I do. Loving what I do is dangerous because every time I've ever loved what I did, God asked me to stop doing it because I loved it too much. I don't love what I do. I love who I do it for. I love Jesus. I love our church. I don't love what I do. I love who I do it for. I don't do it for me. I used to. And every time I've ever done anything for me, every time I've ever loved anything, God has never, I'm pretty soon, I think I'm going to lose my golf. Every time, I'm like, somebody's going to steal my golf clubs because I love it. (laughs) I'm going to steal my golf clubs because I love it. I just haven't any experience when I have too obsessive of a love for anything at all. I got to love who I do it for, not what I do. I've said this before, and I think it's important. The world would tell you to find what you love to do and do it. And I don't agree. Finding what you love to do and doing it will create an idol in your life. I think that we should find love and then just do something. Find love through Jesus and then just do something. Because everything I do now, I get meaning because I didn't find what I love to do. I just found love. So now when I preach or play golf, I kind of love to do everything. Have coffee with people, hang out with my kids. You know, and obviously when I say I love to do everything, some of this stuff is not my favorite. But you get what I mean? Like I do everything with love in, in my heart because I got to tear them down. Second Corinthians says this uh, in t- verse 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The literal translation is we tear down arguments and opinions that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. This is so important to tear down idols. It's so important to see them. It's so important to expose them. Uh, Please, I want to leave you with this before we pray, that Christianity is not about spending your Sundays differently. It's about spending your lives differently. And the way that we do that is by getting rid of the idols so we don't lose our why. You know, God gave Israel everything in the Old Testament, and all they did was worship idols. In the book of Exodus, he let them leave Egypt with their gold and all their stuff, and they made a golden calf out of the gold and worshiped it. Every Throughout the Old Testament, all Israel did is God would bless them, and they would make an idol. God would bless them, and they would make an idol. God would bless them until God exiled them out of the temple for 70 years and brought them back. From that point on, they never worshiped an idol again. I want you to catch this. Babylon conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, Assyria, the northern kingdom of Israel and Persia, and then they were in exile for 70 years, and that was the last time they worshiped idols again in all of Israel. When they came back to the temple, it was smaller, but they weren't. Oh, my God. It was smaller but they didn't have any idols. You should have seen those festivals in the Old Testament, right? Parties and amazing. 
as a worship team joins me, I just, I just keep thinking about what it might have been to worship that idol. I mean, to worship in that service. I mean, the all of Israel would flock to Jerusalem. All of Israel would flock for the festivals. There would have been maybe millions of people descending on God's holy city, and then they'd go back home and put things before God. And God was like, I'm done with this. I don't want this worship anymore. This is not about me. This is about you and all the things that you want me to do. And so he closed the temple doors for 70 years, more than that, actually. And then he called Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. They started to rebuild uh, the, the, the temple. And uh, our, our vision is that we are going to rebuild the church, that we are going to be builders. And um, at the point where they were rebuilding, it was smaller, but they, they didn't have any more idols for hundreds of years. And then the church came and everybody got let in and God was moving. Once again, just like he had moved in Egypt, just like he had moved in Israel. And as soon as God began to bestow his blessing and his favor on the church, here comes the idols. We got to talk about it again. And my prayer is that by getting rid of the things that you have put before God, put besides God, the things that overwhelm you about this life, that you can live in freedom, that you can get your why back. And then now you don't have to find what you love. You can just find love and just be you and be all that God has called you to be. And there's this beautiful thing of freedom to wake up in the morning and just not care. It's so free. I just don't care. I care about God. I care about my family. I care about you. Um, I'm definitely trying to golf under 100. I care about that. Not much else. Not much else. I think we care about too many things. And caring about too many things is idols. And here's the thing. The Bible says that God collects your tears and puts them in his bottle. God cares about everything, so you don't have to. It says we serve a God who does not sleep or slumber, so you can. You don't have to make an idol out of your dream. You don't have to be on team no sleep. You don't have to figure out how it's all going to happen. Just have a burning why, and God will always direct your steps. God will always lead you. The Bible says this about you and me. That Jesus, why was so burning? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He literally had joy in his heart with nails in his hands and feet because he was doing it for you. He had the right why. And so right now I'm going to pray for somebody who has lost their why. They've lost their why to be a mom. They've lost their why to be a Christian. They've lost their why. It's like, wait, why am I in church? Why do I work this job? Why? And I feel like God is saying, I'm going to give you your why back. Because if you don't get your why, if you don't get that vision in your heart, then the what becomes the idol. What you do, what you have, what you want. And God is saying right now that I need my sons, my daughters to be on fire with the why. So that I can move and I can bless and I can restore, and I can rebuild. And it might be smaller, but you'll be happier. 
It might be smaller, but you'll be more joyful or have more meaning. It's not about the size of your bank account or the size of your church or the size of, 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 of your calling and whatever you feel like, the size of your dream. It is about wholeness and peace and love and hope and faith. Everything else can lead you to this dangerous word, idolatry. So God, we just lay all that stuff down and when we pick it up, it won't mean as much because we found true meaning in our relationship with you. I pray that over somebody right now. In Jesus' name, amen.